I enjoyed the uh, the episodes I listened to. I learned I learned a thing or two about prototyping and a thing or two about where to bury your drugs or how to bury your drugs. <laughs> yeah, for for uh, Lollapalooza, it's very impressive. I mean, GPS in a phone has a lot of unintended benefits. This is Brilliant, a podcast about innovation, experience, and design. I'm your host, Justin Dobb. So this episode is definitely trending towards the positive. More in a moment. All right, so uh, do a little housekeeping. Why don't you tell us uh, your name, the company, where you work at, and then um, why people should care about that company. Wow. All of that. Well, uh, my name is Maxwell Luthi. I am the director of trends and insights at a company called Trend Watching, which is a, a real thrill for me because about a decade ago, I was a fanboy. Um, you know, I signed up to the newsletter many, many years ago, the free newsletter. I couldn't believe how much they were giving away, and I can't believe that I am now uh, one of the one of the minds in in charge of of that newsletter and the other content we create. But essentially, Trend Watching has been around for. 17 years and really the easiest way to explain what we do is we help professionals from every industry you could possibly imagine make sense of and harness change and the business model itself has been through quite a journey in those 17 years and even in the eight or nine years that i've been here that's excellent and so how many trends do you track well it's it, it depends how you define that i mean we're kind of we have our ear to the ground for anything and everything but in our database at any one time uh, we have about 140 trends that are being tracked and essentially our data point at trend watching is the innovation so instead of surveying consumers to ask them what they're going to want a year from now, we're instead looking at the products and services that are going to change what they're going to expect in the future. You know, it's it's an innovation cliche to mention Henry Ford or Steve Jobs saying people don't know what they want tomorrow. You can't ask them today. Yeah. So for those 140 trends, we have about 30,000 uh, examples of them tagged by trend, by industry, by region in our database. And then, of course, we publish... Uh, reports and newsletters with those trends and examples as well. So constantly spotting new ones, constantly adapting and feeding new examples into the older ones. You know, they rarely die. If anything, they evolve into something uh, more powerful <laughs> and more effective for the consumer. Yeah, and I have to say, I am a subscriber to the uh, newsletter as well. Good. So I guess I'm a fanboy currently. So what? 17 years from now, I'll be asking for a job. Awesome. <laughs> cool. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And everybody should subscribe and buy a Casper mattress as well. You have to say that. If your podcast is legit. Yeah, I was wondering if Casper. that's where you were going with that. Yeah. Like every uh, Casper mattress is Audible, which ironically, um, all the ads for Audible on the podcast I listen to have reduced my podcast listening because I start listening to Audible audiobooks. Oh, man. I, I almost fall off of my bicycle on the way home and I try and fast forward through the ads, which is crazy because i mean i'm not alone in doing that and there's probably people who have died trying to skip the <laughs> trying to skip the casper ad or the audible ad you have the, the creatives in the room what's the worst that could happen with this ad you know no one's gonna get hurt but here we are um yeah so, so yours is ad free i i, I recall uh, yeah uh, but if you'd like to sponsor max uh, we can talk <laughs> for sure um, uh, it, you know, even at a very healthy uh, cost per thousand, I think it's a, it's a pretty pretty cheap buy at this point. Nice. So, as an innovator, what podcast do you listen to? Oh, it's one of those things where I think everybody's already on the same page here, and sometimes they aren't. But Pivot, which is the new podcast from from Scott Galloway of oh, L2. Yeah. 
Yeah. And Kara Swisher of um, you know Code, it's uh, is just excellent. Very very funny. Uh, they usually get sidetracked and just make fun of each other. But uh, that's one of my favorites. Uh, A16Z. When I want to get, uh, you know, feel like the least intelligent person in the room. Um, you know, the Andreessen Horowitz podcast. Yeah. They do they do great deep dives. Benedict Evans is. I, I, hopefully by this point, everybody's go-to guy for, for mobile, and he's really spreading into other territories. What else am I listening to? Um, a, a bit of everything. I mean, I do I do dive around. I think Pivot is probably one of the only ones I go back to a lot at the moment. Yeah, I find myself listening less to dedicated innovation and business podcasts as I do more general interest things like um, science and skepticism podcasts or just mm. tech punditry, right? So people who are fascinated with the business of tech mm-hmm. and, um, uh, you know, I find uh, most of those discussions are more on point, I think, to, you know, what it takes to run a, a, a new venture than a lot of the podcasts about running a new venture, if that makes any sense. Yeah, 100%. I think you can learn a lot more by broadening your, your listening horizons. I want to talk a little bit today about your innovation work, obviously, with companies. And uh, you you mm-hmm. call your process trend-based innovation. Is that correct? Trend-driven. Yeah, trend-driven trend, innovation. Trend-driven. Trend-driven. That's tough to say. Trend-driven. Is it? I, I've said it a thousand <laughs> times now. I've kind of, yeah. We were torn between calling the book trend-driven innovation and the expectation economy. Um, Ooh, that's good. I, I still... Yeah, I prefer the expectation economy, but trend-driven innovation uh, is pretty, it does what it says on the, the tin. So talk a little bit about that process, and I don't need you to give away your secret sauce if that's going to be a problem. But, well, no, um, I mean, that, that's why we wrote the book. We think uh, you, there were a few things that kind of came together, essentially. I mean, there, there's a shift in terms of the business intelligence landscape where information used to be hard to find. Uh, and we had a 100% open rate on our email newsletter. And really, we were one of, you know, there just weren't that many email newsletters. And there were very few that were doing uh, what our founder was doing and, and spotting patterns, you know, across various industries and connecting the dots and making it really accessible. So he had such a loyal following. If an email went out late, he would hear from people. <laughs> and, you know, as you know, there's now so much information out there. So our role as a company has changed from show us the incredible things that are happening in the world. Uh, well, now we're just bombarded with information. So yeah. people don't want us to just try and like ram more of that down our throats. And we realized the opportunity had shifted more to helping people sift through that in- information, helping them build a trend framework, helping them act on trends, showing them trends uh, were not, you know, you didn't need to spend 30000 dollars on a report from someone in a black turtleneck who was going to make you sign an NDA. You know, we wanted to make them accessible. And, and so the book that we released all those years ago is very much the secret sauce. And, and I'm happy to talk about it. I've even come armed with some different metaphors <laughs> so that I don't just repurpose it. Uh, because I could basically, uh, as you know, I do a lot of conferences and I, I, I could just fall into one of those grooves and start speaking in this monotone 45 minute trend driven innovation keynote and you and your listeners deserve better. You don't want them to get into a bicycle accident as they're trying to fast forward through it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Oh my God, this guy has said this a hundred times. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the way that I was talking about it over lunch with some colleagues, and I think there's sort of three ways that people can can use trends in the innovation process. A lot of people will be drawn to us as a, a sort of toolbox where whether it's by reading our newsletters and enough other newsletters or having access to our database, when they have a very specific problem, they will find the tool that suits that problem. 
you know, if they have a vegetable they need to peel, they'll find the vegetable peeler trend, which is, uh, again, uh, these are new metaphors. They need right. a lot of work. Everything's a prototype on this podcast, Max. So you can Good. prototype these these metaphors, see how they work. We'll give you all the feedback we get, and then you can uh, you know, iterate. This is low fidelity. <laughs> yeah, with, with the second use case, though, there's the example we came up with today. Was essentially, it's like a sparkly cape. You want to read our newsletter, and then you want to kind of go to work wearing this sparkly cape where you feel like you can kind of show it off. And whip it out in a meeting and say, like, I know what's happening. And there's actually nothing wrong with that. I think people can feel overwhelmed in the business landscape and, and when it comes to innovation. And if you can break down something incredibly complicated and also make sense of what, what's happening out there, you know, that sparkly cape is powerful. People, people love that about trends. It's a lot of the reason people pay for access to our reports or our database or come give a keynote to my team. The third thing, though, is kind of the ideal user. And this is not so much a crystal ball where we're predicting your future, but really it's almost like a, a travel guide is the example we agreed on today, where we aren't planning your vacation for you, but we're kind of giving you these prompts that help you ask the right questions. Right. And if you if you were to follow the kind of step-by-step process to a T that we lay out in the book and that we take some of our clients through, step one will be helping you build a trend framework, you know, the key themes that you should focus on. Step two would really be using the consumer trend radar, which is a tool we developed to kind of plot those trends and see where they impact your business. Is it a product opportunity, a business model opportunity, a marketing opportunity, you know, and how urgently? And then step three is my favorite tool, uh, which is the consumer trend canvas. So as I said, we realized it wasn't enough today to just bombard people with more information. And the consumer trend canvas uh, inspired by, of course, the business model canvas is this sort of tool to get you from point A to point B, from the trend to the new concept, the new product, uh, the new marketing campaign. Yeah, and I should tell the listeners here, uh, our process at Mignani, we do narrative-based innovation, uh, but there was, you know, there's a part of that that we are incorporating a lot of what uh, we learned from you, incorporating that understanding of trends as we try to build out a future world narrative, right? So what is the um, environment we're trying to put our heroes in? The work that you guys do has really influenced how we structured our process as well. It might not be as kind of pure trend-based as yours, mm-hmm. um, but it's definitely been an influence in ours. And so that's one reason I wanted to get you on here. One, just to say uh, thanks. Um, hey, you're very welcome. <laughs> and uh, I should also say that, you know, uh, Max referenced a moment ago all of his public speaking. And if and if you have an opportunity to go to one of these trend watching, um, do you call them seminars? I mean, what what are you? Yeah, we do. We do our own events. Um, yeah, they're events. More, they're more theater. I mean, a seminar seems like like uh, far more arduous edu- than this. Is. Edutainment. Yes, edutainment. They really are uh, amazing kind of insights into the world that you think you know uh, is definitely laid out in a way that it's that Harry Potter moment where, you know, uh, Hagrid walks into the lighthouse and Harry realizes there's another world out there that he just wasn't seeing. And I think you guys do a really good job of, you know, you know, you may be predicting the, the you know, the trends in the future, but it's a really great mirror for where we are today. Well, thank you. And I'd love to accept that compliment, but because it's a Harry Potter reference, I uh, I, I reject it. <laughs> just, you have every right. I, uh, as as yeah. a bespectacled man with a, with a British accent, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the curses of being a public speaker is you get to see what you looked like just a few years ago and how, uh, how life on the road ages you. My vision is gone. My hair has fallen out. You know, actually, I spoke at an event recently and the organizer, the last time I'd spoke at their event, Seth Godin was opening and I was closing the day. 
And the same thing happened again. And I realized the last time I was there, I didn't look like Seth Godin. <laughs> but now, <laughs> just just a few years later, he's going to come up to me and grab me by the you know the lapel and say, "You're stealing my brand, man." Well, well, he may run into problems. My entire digital strategy and 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 UX team uh, at one point were you know bespectacled men with shaved heads. Well, amazing. So, so it's I don't know if it's quite the uh, trademark he was hoping to protect. It'd be like in the '90s, uh, an art director with a goatee. I know, I know. I miss, I miss that era. So, in these uh, presentations, or even just off the top of your head, what's one of the the most joyfully surprising trends that you're seeing, and what's one of the most uh, disconcerting trends that you're seeing these days? Ooh, joyfully surprising and disconcerting. There's so many interesting ones. You know, I think what's interesting is sustainability is a drum that has been beaten for a very long time, and we've seen in fits and starts, and we've seen, you know, limited edition product ranges and efforts to track our carbon footprint and all the rest of it over the year. But I think 2018, you know, the year that the that the plastic straw became essentially bin Laden, it became like <laughs> enemy Indeed. number one, right? Yeah. But it's, that's, so we obviously at Trembutching, for anyone who's, again, hitting the fast forward button, we're not a micro trend firm. We're not going to tell you that bubble tea is happening or, you know, CBD seltzer is a big deal. Right. We'll, we'll connect the dots between those things and something bigger. But with these, with the single use plastic shift, I mean, it's, it's impacting every single client I, I work with. And you can tell the room is excited. I think, how am I going to explain to them that there's a resurgence of focus on the environmental impact of consumerism? But there is, and it's amazing. And, you know, it, this is the funniest way to explain it in the we work we're based in ditch the plastic cups and they were in theory compostable cups but we right. know that few of those things end up in the right place and compost properly so they ditch the plastic cups replace them with metal cups soon afterwards signs appear please don't throw away the metal cups oh, uh because you know, people are thinking oh these are single-use metal cups soon after that now there is a sign in the elevator i saw today that is pleading you know please limit yourself to one cup a day like you're overfilling the dishwasher <laughs> <And> <laughs> <laughs> it's it's wasting water and i was yeah. just it to me it really captures it's a positive shift but it comes with a lot of guilt for the consumer people are really questioning every decision and it's like even if you switch to single use are you, are you replacing single use are you doing it the right way um so that we call that the end of excess and it impacts everything from if you're a shoe uh, manufacturer you know if you're a shoe brand you might be saying well do we even need a shoe box to i mean anything you can think of really like how yeah. can we reduce the waste and and use that as a competitive advantage. Yeah, and the uh, I think the smarter business strategists are understanding too that you save a lot of money not putting a boxer on those shoes too. And you need to take advantage of these cultural shifts that allow for what used to be a luxurious unboxing experience, right, was part of the brand. Mm -hmm. And and if there's a point in time where um, you can save $4 on every pair of Nikes, um, yep. to Nike, that's, you know, what, half a billion dollars a year? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, uh, Tide had this moment recently. Well, maybe it was towards the end of last year. Uh, they... they created the eco box which is a reference to e-commerce as well as um you know environmental and everyone was kind of laughing because it looks like a box of wine <laughs> but they recognized 
you know, wait a second, we've been shipping this big plastic bottle from the warehouse to Amazon. Amazon's been then when someone clicks by putting it in a box with a bunch of plastic things around it. And then someone's put it on their shelf and they actually created a package that has 60% less plastic, I think 30% less water. And as long as you don't mix it up with your box of, you know, cab sav, it's, it's a winner. And once you see that on your shelf uh, and you're buying that online and you go to the supermarket, the thing we always tell our clients as well is, you know, you might not be selling detergent, but people are going to see Tide do that and they're going to look at every product and say, well, uh, you know, are you, are you making those changes? Yeah, and I think you and I should be the first to tell all of the kids on the Internet not to drink out of the Tide Echo Box or mm. do any challenge. So- so now you're responsible. You know, first of all, you're giving me tips on how to hide my drugs at Lollapalooza on the the last episode I listened to, and now you're telling me not to drink Tide detergent. Yeah. I know you've got you've got a strict rule of. Uh, <laughs> yes, I, so, of, so I support the illicit drug use apparently, but I, I don't support the uh, the online meme based idiocy. I think that's okay. reasonable. That's legit, actually. I think I'm. Uh, I think we are aligned. So, we are aligned. <laughs> so um, you didn't talk about the most disturbing trend oh really oh well i you know there's so many different ways to go i would love to share like 50 trends so i'll talk about one shift that's really interesting and then i'll talk about a slightly disturbing shift as well we kind of had this in in an incredibly short time frame this whole uh, the you know the ai renaissance and forgetting that say i think recent research said 40 percent of european startups that claim to use ai uh do not in any substantial way. But forgetting about that, consumers very quickly went from like, oh my God, you know, AI and machine learning can help me catch a train sooner, can predict when I'll be delayed. It can, through natural language processing, I can get a weather update just by asking my smart speaker. We very quickly went from, wow, it's unbelievable this technology can do this. And are we sure it can? Oh, wow, it really can To Oh my God, it has the power to wreak havoc on our lives. And shifting from essentially AI to the algorithms that garner the content we track, you know, you have this sort of backlash against Facebook, Twitter, and people are claiming they're kind of inciting the worst aspects of humanity. So this interesting trend that's emerging today is essentially we now expect, okay, we're no longer surprised that uh, technology is capable of doing things as well as a human uh, or, or processes better than a human, but we now expect them to be in many respects more ethical than humans. We are biased, but you cannot build a facial recognition platform with with racial bias built into it. Like we're just not going to accept that. So uh, that the name for that trend is essentially superhuman resources. And if you had a you know a human resources department uh, today as as a, a business where technology is a large part of your offering, you should also essentially have this sort of superhuman resources department yeah. where you are making sure that um, any uh, technology that decision making is being outsourced to is making those decisions more ethically more ethically. And with less bias than a human would. Yeah, the the problem is that right, the data sets that are being put into these uh, machine learning platforms um, are coming from uh, non-superhuman, right, uh, biased mm-hmm. data sets, right, and they're compiled oh, yeah. by people with huge biases, and um, it's nearly impossible, at least from what I've read, to create these mm-hmm. systems without bias because we don't have data sets that are, you know, pure to begin with. And that and anything exactly. we've done and pure is, is subjective as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's being amplified. Any it even gets worse 
when we start mm -hmm. applying machine learning uh, to these data sets. It'll be interesting, I think, in the long run. And, you know, because ultimately machine learning is about highlighting biases in data. Now, you could say, you know, we only wanted to do mm -hmm. the, the biases that we were charging it with, but that's kind of not how it works. Yeah, I think it's it's not going to be an easy problem to solve, but I think what's just amazing is the expectation is out there. It's the same. It's sort of we are all clicking on the, the content, you know, that we are infuriated that the content providers continue to recommend to us. <laughs> yeah, I wrote a, a post a while back, and this is going back years now, talking about if we concentrate too much on, you know, amplifying behaviors that we're seeing in the market and leaving no mm -hmm. space for emergence, right? So mm -hmm. we're going to actually start selling less stuff. I think the best example is when all you start seeing are ads for things you already bought, mm. right? Because of course, your browsing behaviors or purchasing behaviors would predict you would want, you know, X product because you already bought yeah. X product. Well, yeah. So I, I think there you're onto an interesting path because essentially, I think one of the best examples of someone who kept you in the right balance of within your bubble and then showing you new things, I think, is probably that you know, as it has been widely celebrated, has been the Spotify Discover Weekly playlist. That's very finely tuned by by the engineers there to to get that balance right of familiarity and discovery. But then if you think about it, they've done it so well that that references a sort of another bigger trend that I think is really exciting and very confusing for people, uh, which is essentially the, the automation of commerce, where for the first time in history, the consumer is not making the consumption decisions. The easiest example to understand this trend with would be back in, I think, 2015, when Amazon launched the Dash button, because it was less hilarious, it got a lot less coverage. But Amazon Dash replenishment, you know, essentially, if you had a smart printer and it was running out of toner, it wouldn't tell you. It would just reorder your printer toner. Right. It's kind of the concept. You know, same for your coffee machine. And this trend didn't take off immediately, uh, primarily, I think, because not enough people had the connected devices. But now that Amazon is launching... You know, they launched a $60 microwave and people might think, well, why the hell is Amazon launching a $60 microwave that's Alexa enabled? But actually, all of a sudden, they are like, you know, no one's building these devices well enough. We're going to integrate commerce into the devices you have in your home. And in the same way that Spotify is, I, you know, I'm no longer really hunting out new music to listen to. And I say this as a music you know, nerd uh, like yourself, uh, <laughs> formerly in bands, tried to start a record label or the rest of it. I'm kind of I've kind of given up and trust. I now trust Spotify to find these things for me. You know, it's incredible that you're already seeing with fast moving consumer goods. You have grocery providers and things like that who are essentially filling your shopping basket and basically saying hit go and we'll send this stuff to you. So e-commerce is quite a, an incredible trend because if you miss out on that first go round, if you don't become the regularly purchased product, <laughs> Right. You know, once you start subscribing and it's it is building off the subscription boxes. Once I've subscribed to Dollar Shave Club, which I finally did a few years ago, I really am it's it's I really can't be bothered to like unsubscribe and switch it up to Harry's. So what happens if your customer is locked into the automation of purchasing your competitor's product? How do you reach them again? Well, there might not be a monetary switching cost. There's a huge cognitive switching cost, right, to that consumer mm -hmm. to have to think about it, you know. No, mm -hmm. I've got plenty to think about. So I, I think it's an interesting point you bring up. And I also want to commend you on the fact that you still uh, allow Spotify to find new music for you. I just use my children for that. Mine are two and four, so they've they've recommended Baby Shark 
quite a few times. <laughs> and, and, you know, Lori Berkner. I don't know if you discovered that yet, but anyone. Oh, uh, no, I haven't. I say that, but I'm also probably uh, aging and dating myself and my children because those references probably aren't right anymore. Like, Kids' music actually has the same kind of overnight success and disappearance as pop music. But as a parent, you age out of it and you just don't know that, mm -hmm. you know, small children are still listening to these things. Oh, uh, yeah. But I digress. I, it goes from, I've hit, I've hit that point um, with the Coachella lineup years ago where, I, I, you know, I went, when did I go? Like 10, 15 years ago. I'm not even, I can't really remember. But basically where I would check the lineup just out of curiosity and just the number of acts where I'm like, who, who, who had the yeah. breakout set? Like who really nailed it in the big tent? Like, Oh my God, who is this? Like I've got all these YouTube tabs open. I've definitely hit that point. But yeah, so it's, it's, it's a very interesting world out there and it's only going to get weirder. It does. Yeah. It's funny. We used to say, um, you know, the world is changing very quickly. It feels like the rate of change is accelerating and everyone would kind of nod along but somewhat calmly. And now everyone in the room is looking like, yes, and please, you know, can you can you help us slow it down? So what what are you seeing trend-wise with the kind of behemoth social media platforms? Increasing adoption, changing adoption, shift in audiences? Are you seeing anything in those that is significant? I think you can see a lot of what's happened by the purchases that, you know, uh, Mark Zuckerberg made, you know, several years ago. I think, you know, they were very quick to see that the data showing that people were starting fewer photo albums on Facebook. And they thought, oh, my God, that's where all of our, you know, that's where people really, that was one of the big draws of the platform. Right. And then they acquire Instagram. And I think their acquisition of WhatsApp frustrates me to no end because, they saw, particularly in Europe, but now, you know, globally, basically everywhere where Facebook Messenger isn't number one, excluding Asia, people are on WhatsApp and they, you know, some people might call it dark social, but they saw this shift towards more private one-to-one -one or, you know, group-to-group -group messaging. And I think that's where people are spending more and more of their time, you know, in terms of sharing personal moments, you're kind of doing it through messaging apps um, and whether that's sharing video or sharing selfies and you could even put Snapchat in, in that in that group. It's it's a smaller audience. Um, it's more relevant for them. It's a little bit less posturing. You can be a bit more relaxed, be yourself. And then you can still partake in these kind of mass moments where you will, you know, 10.7 million people log into Fortnite through YouTube. So people have the opportunity to enter an audience of millions or their specific tribe and, you know, within Reddit. But I think more and more time is being spent on the messaging apps. There's just the the first rush of, uh, you know, I need my the high school people I didn't get along with to see what I'm up to now has, has passed. <laughs> yeah, and what well what would be interesting is I keep reading about Facebook uh, threatening to roll all of those acquisitions back into Facebook. Yeah, and yeah, I know. I'm trying I'm trying to persuade my friends to move from from uh, our group chats from WhatsApp to at least a Viber or Telegram, but I don't want to get on the, U the US government uh, watch list. Have you seen, uh, what's really interesting to me is the slightly, the posturing that becomes pretty embarrassing once you stop doing it yourself. Uh, the sort of Instagram-esque posturing or the, or the Twitter posturing, I, I feel like LinkedIn is going to hit uh, that same 
there's just there's no way once they turned on video once you could publish these which at first were quite beautiful articles on it and i'm someone who does use it this way yeah. uh, it feels like linkedin is just a zoo right now uh it's become the sort of facebook newsfeed of a few years ago but i i don't know if i should even be saying that because we publish so much content on linkedin <laughs> you're part of the problem is what you're saying uh, yeah, but, just, but yeah i do see a lot of pushback where you didn't see all of the, you know, kind of verbal or written pushback on Facebook when things changed, people just engaged or disengaged. Um, mm. Whereas on LinkedIn, there's a very verbal contingent of people who are angrily pushing back against, you know, anything that reeks of personal posturing or more social content yeah. than than business content. Where the, uh, the, the white middle-aged reply guy, is, he finds himself very at home there on LinkedIn. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah. So it'll be. Yeah. It's all interesting. I I have to admit, if I'm a focus group of one, and of course, who yeah. wouldn't want to be a focus group of one? Um, I find myself kind of physically avoiding. I took Facebook off my phone. I still have Messenger because it's kind of. I have a giant family, ten siblings. You know, all wow. of us. That's just kind of how people group messages through Facebook. You, you got to um, get all. You got to get all ten of you on one of these episodes. That might be interesting. Yeah. It's a little tough. There's a big geography difference, but I guess the, you know, we're on Skype today, ladies and gentlemen, I should say. Um, Max joining from New York. I'm in Chicago. This is our first fully remote teleconference podcast recording. Other than the, the last podcast, I flew out to San Francisco to talk to our mutual friend, Will Smith. Um, oh, nice. And, nice, uh, nice, nice. Still one of the strangest moments of any workshop, but I've had a few. Well, we, we oh, referenced yeah. it, actually, uh, on the last podcast. So you should, I, I know you've listened to all the podcasts, Max. I'm sure you just forgot we mentioned it last time. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> on my, my to-do list. <laughs> so, he's a smart dude. Uh, yeah, he's fantastic. So I haven't heard this back yet, but it seems to be working okay. This is a uh, Frankenstein podcast setup because uh, thanks to Apple's increased certificate security, uh, I can't get Soundflower to work on my mm-hmm. Macintosh anymore, which was how... You normally would just route sound from like Skype, which we're on right now, into Logic Pro or GarageBand or Audacity or whatever you record with. So now I've got actually, you know, an old Firewire audio card. I've got a USB audio interface and one's kind of routing back into the other. So uh, Skype is using one of them and then I'm routing the outputs from that into the second interface, which is then hooked into Logic Pro. So... And then you uh, are feeding that through a reel-to-reel tape machine that you bought from uh, an ex-Abbey Road engineer, I, I assume. Uh, I, uh, only in digital plug-in form. Because <laughs> I nice. do have that plug-in that, that recreates the Abbey Road mastering. Um, uh, and Actually, tape and vinyl. So if, if you oh, want good. me to do this entire I podcast f- with... I wish with you told of- me about that plug-in. My, my old bandmate had, had bought one of those things, and it's the size of a refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I, I will at least on the way out uh, give the listeners an, uh, some sample um, of the crackle and pop and stuff that you can add. It's bizarre, right? So everything you tried not to have before now is like kind of retro cool. Okay, I'm gonna do a quick lightning round. Three books you are recommending to people right now. Three books I am recommending to people right now. Okay, well, bizarrely, 
the company founder of Trendwatching gave me a copy of American Psycho recently, <laughs> um, which I had never read. And I think he said it would help me better understand New York. And it's made me want to. It's made, Sorry. made me want to move. He's from he's from Amsterdam. It has kind of made me. I was like, Hannah, before bed, I think we should move. And she's like, It's just because you're reading American Psycho and watching Billions. Uh, <laughs> But what else? Well, I, you know, I love my, all of Michael Lewis's books. So instead of recommending his books, I will share that he's now got a podcast that I highly recommend. Yeah, I think it's called Against the Rules. First episode's fantastic about NBA um, transparency in the NBA. But I think it applies to all businesses, you know, kind of more visible than ever before. And that hasn't necessarily bolstered people's trust. And then the third thing I'll recommend is Factfulness, uh, which is an incredible book. And it's essentially uh, a, a Swedish doctor and his uh, son-in-law, I think, and daughter. And they essentially wrote this book, which is it, it really tracks the many different ways that we misunderstand the world around us, how the media exacerbates it, but shares a lot of really positive facts about, you know, increasing life expectancies, how the world is growing wealthier and healthier. And I think in a very negative media climate, it's a very positive book. My colleagues certainly noticed I was bouncing into work with a smile on my face. And it has lots of fun uh, facts in it. For example, the pin code of the world is 114. Uh, so that's 1 billion people in the Americas, 1 billion in Europe, 1 billion in Africa, and 4 billion in Asia, which is a very helpful number to remember. Which is why there's a but slight know, wobble I, right now to the planet. It's tilting. It's why a lot of the, actually, it's been amazing in the last few years. The trend report has really shifted from a few examples from Asia to, you know, show some of the exciting things that are happening over there to, we used to have this, you know, thing where we would be like, before we hit publish or printed the book, you know, there's too many California based startups. And now it's so many incredible things happening in, uh, in Asia, particularly China. Um, something like 900 facial recognition patents have been filed, you know, 10 times as many as the US. Right. Some scary things happening, but a lot of incredible stuff in terms of the customer experience in retail, um, you know, e-commerce. It's, it's, yeah, unbelievable. So um, this is just In case your audience hadn't figured that out yet. <laughs> There's an interesting anecdote for you to maybe to look into is we hosted a Chinese exchange student a few months ago. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, as a follower of Western media, have been indoctrinated into the fact that Chinese people all use WeChat. WeChat is everything. WeChat is the future. WeChat is, you mm -hmm. know, where they're going. And mm -hmm. according to her, the kids don't use WeChat. Like, this emerging generation uses QQ. There which, you, you know, like we're so quick to assume like there's this monolithic kind of app over there, but, you know, and we're more fickle. But the truth is, you know, human nature is human nature. And yeah. it was just an eye opener for me. And, you know, this is one you know piece of data and one anecdote. But I was a little taken aback, I have to admit. I was like, wait, what? She said, oh, yeah, no, no, the kids don't kids don't like WeChat. Yeah. Well, I think it probably is going to be one of those situations like you saw over here with uh, a lot of kids saying they were off Facebook before it really happened. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and Facebook then acquiring where they were headed anyway. But yeah, I think but I think that is really interesting and a good reminder when you hear uh, an oversimplification, um, always interrogate it and continue to recheck in on it. Well, and to a cross-cultural over, oversimplification, right? So, like, with it, you know, from someone outside of a culture, making gross generalizations about what's happening within that culture is another way, really, to think, ah, we should take it's a, a little grain of salt. That's a good way to get in trouble. 
Um, well, that's one of the reasons we have spotters around the world. We have spotters in, in China. This is, uh, thankfully, when we write about uh, Chinese consumer trends, it's not it's not my opinion from over in New York. You could have gotten away with that about 50 years ago, probably when we started the business, but <laughs> when, when, thankfully yeah. not today. And, and a big shout out to our spotters. Um, who make everything we do possible. Uh, these are really exciting people from every possible background, from you know advertising students to retirees, um, and they literally span the globe from Mexico City to Moscow. They, they give us the, the sort of boots on the ground to track these trends. Excellent, and those trends benefit all of us. So uh, thanks, Max, for coming on and talking about it today. Thank you for having me on. And Thank you for having me on. I highly recommend the Innovation of the Day newsletter. Um, I hope I don't have to pay you for saying that. No, not at all. No, no, I, I've already mentioned it. I love it. Look at it every day. And I don't Wonderful. look at most of the emails I get every day. I mean, I, you know, at least yeah. from third parties. I know. I'm, I like it so much that I even read the ones that I edited the night before. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's just a, to check for typos, yeah, which eat, still sneak out the door. Oh, it kills me. Yeah, it's like eating your own dog food, right? That's exactly. When's your next edutainment day? Edutainment day. Yeah. Uh, we are going to be yeah, doing a, a few half days and a flagship all over the world on the future of experiences in just a few weeks. So Amsterdam, New York, Singapore, London. And the best way to see those is to go to trendwatching.com and you'll see our events. We're also doing um, end of year events, which we're about to announce. So we'll be going to Texas for the first time with one of our events, but also traveling all over Asia um, and, and many other cities around the world. So there's a, there's a lot to come. I highly recommend those end of year events to get your sort of download for 2020 in, in just half a day. And uh, yeah, it is a fun day. All right. Well, take care, Max, and uh, I uh, hope we can uh, drink some whiskey soon. I look forward to, to a whiskey with you in person. And thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Cheers, dude. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, hit subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. Brilliant is a production of Magnani, an experienced design and strategy firm in Chicago, Illinois. Learn more at Magnani.com. That's M-A-G-N-A-N-I.com. 